The Truth News Network. From sea to shining sea, across the fruited plain, the land of the free and the home of the brave is denied permission to talk about, hear about, read about real news. Denied by three corporations with ties to our political enemies. Where do you get your doses of the truth? TNN, the Truth News Network. And your anchor is Dan Newman. There's absolutely no doubt, folks. Information, facts, news, the real stuff is imperative that we get in our arms around. We've got to do it, folks. We're in a tough spot today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new week. Welcome to TNN Live. We're always grateful that you join us. We never take you for granted. You're critical to everything we do and why we do it, and uh, we consider you our partners in all of this at TNN Live. So what is all of this? We're on a fact-finding mission, and then we're on a mission to bring you the facts that we find. And boy, is it tougher and tougher to get to the facts and then to get the facts to you. Now, on today's show, we're going to talk about a lot of things. Some things may be a little bit uncomfortable. But folks, I think you'll agree If you look with me at the world around us right now, we should feel uncomfortable. Look what happened in Haiti over the weekend. Another horrible earthquake. They're expecting a couple of hundred thousand people to have died in that one. And they haven't even yet gotten over the one from 2010 or 11 that uh, killed over a hundred thousand people. That's Haiti. And then look in Asia. We talk about Asia a lot here at TNN Live, but it's usually in the context of China. We very seldom think about Afghanistan as being in Asia, but it is. And Afghanistan is on fire today, and it has massive implications for us. There are those that are listening in this morning that think, finally, we're getting out of we're getting out of that war where there are twenty year tenure in Afghanistan, and we got absolutely nothing accomplished. Folks, let me ask you this. Do you remember why we went there in the first place? We did not go there to take over the nation of Afghanistan. That was never the intention of our leaders. What it was all about was to go over there and simply make sure the terrorist operations that had been going on there, been building power and the abilities and the ways to go terrorize people in the nation, kind of like us in New York City on 9-11, that terrorist attack was put together, organized and structured from Afghanistan. The reason that we put any forces in Afghanistan were simply to ferret out Al-Qaeda and prevent them from doing again to us in any place else on earth what happened to us on 9-11. So for all of those that they just come right out and say, we don't need to be going over and trying to keep these nations free. I can't speak to Iraq. I can't speak to Kuwait. I can't speak to other spots in the Middle East. 
but I can speak to Afghanistan. As hard as it is for me to reconcile the deaths of over 2,300 American troops in Afghanistan at the hands of terrorists during this 20 years and the $2 trillion, approximately $2 trillion we spent there, it's hard to justify that in any way. But we've not had any 9-11 terrorist activities since 9-11. And that's not because the Islamic extremists don't want and haven't wanted to bring more to the shores of this nation. They desperately despise us. Now, yeah, there have been onesie-twosie kind of attacks. We've been able to thankfully quell most of those and prevent many, many more. But we've never seen but one time, actually two times in our nation's history, the kind of thing that happened on 9-11. The first was really in World War II, the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Close to 5,000 people died that day. And it wasn't a terrorist organization that did it. I guess maybe it was. The Japanese were pretty crazy at that particular time. But we have some real issues that are on our plate today and many, many things that we don't yet know or understand. And some of that comes from the fact of the guy who's running the nation, or at least he's supposed to be running the nation, but he's not available. We're talking, of course, about President Joe Biden. How odd is it to you that the left, those on the left, they constantly spew platitudes like words matter, yet can never resist a chance to themselves indulge in hypocrisy of the highest order. I think one of the funniest things, and it's so funny, it's, it, it, it actually borders on being really frightful and sad, how the left don't even understand how stupid they make themselves look by the words that come out of their mouths all the time. Just a couple of days ago, on Fridays, Real Time with Bill Maher, and we don't quote Bill Maher here very often, I don't have a lot of respect for him, but you know what? Every once in a while, he throws out a nugget or two that are very meaningful and very important. He had former Navy officer and current MSNBC crank, and I mean, he is a crank, Malcolm Nance. We've talked to you before. I told you two years ago, he's one of the most dangerous people in the United States of America today, and very few people know who he is, but he is an African-American Warhawk advocate, and he just is in your face when he meets or talks with you. Well, on that show Friday, he made the absurd claim that 40,000 people stormed the Capitol on January 6th. 40,000. Conservative talk show host Ben Shapiro aggressively rebutted it on Bill Maher's show, but Nance didn't back down. So what if he was lying? Now think this through with me. Insisting that 40,000 people entered the Capitol sounds a lot more dramatic than 1,000 people, right? But it helps bolster Nance's asinine storyline. That also shows that the words matter platitude of the left is nothing but hypocrisy. So let me ask you this. Are you old enough to remember Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who was a Democrat? You remember him? He used to say this. You're entitled to your own opinions, 
but you're not entitled to your own facts. Well, I guess that statement no longer applies in Democrat land. Want another example of this hypocrisy running amok? We got a bunch of them, but I'll give you another one. Consider the rhetoric of a school board member in an Oklahoma college town this past week. Linda Sexton, who, by the way, is an elected official, claimed that kids who don't wear masks to school might, in fact, be murdering their classmates. It's just not okay for kids to commit murder by coming to school without a mask, she said. And when it comes down to it, it's possible. They will cause the death of another child because they came to school without a mask, and that's not okay. It's hard to believe that anybody with half a brain would even say something like that, but we're talking about an elected official in Oklahoma. It's doubtful that many people feel her comments bear any factual context, but factual means little in today's politispeak. And yes, the left seems to be in total control of its meaning and its uses whenever it necessarily feeds their credibility, if they have any left. If you understand the low risk of death that COVID-19 poses to kids, and by the way, that's actually been confirmed very begrudgingly by even the New York Times. They've agreed that that's a fact. Kids very seldom die from COVID. Well, if you understand that, you'd roll your eyes at this sad woman's desperate attempt at fear-mongering. That's all it is. She wasn't warning moms and dads about their kids going to school without a mask. She was spreading fear. But these MSNBC contributors, Nance and COVID Karens, that's Sexton, are taking their cues, folks, from the top. Who's at the top? Joe Biden. Some moderate Democrats and anti-Trumpers naively believed that Joe would cool off our insanely polarized political atmosphere. Nobody can argue that it's not that insanely polarized political atmosphere. Clearly, those people were wrong. If anything, Biden borrowed a can of gasoline from Obama and carries it with him to every White House policy discussion and the president never hesitates to pour a little more gasoline on the innumerable fires that he set himself. Biden has abandoned the deadly earnest campaign promises delivered from his basement. Now, it seems he and his advisors have no plans to unify the country. Forget about that. That's gone. Rather, Biden's goal is to carry the torch for his former boss and hero, President Barack Obama. And the torch concept fits perfectly in context in the Biden administration. Joe's not just copying Barry's tan suit. You remember that? Joe's also following the former president's blueprint for what Obama in 2008 called the fundamental transformation of America. This overhaul of our country is not going to happen with bipartisan deals or common sense conversations. Those are out the window. You know when those ended? The day the electric uh, election results were confirmed. Few even thought that when Obama stated this, the intention was to ditch that representative republic thing 
and replace it with a mixture of Euro-socialism and Venezuelan authoritarianism. Biden and his cronies need to convince their low-information voters that anybody opposed to their transformative agenda, the evil MAGA folks and those conservative conspirators, you know those people, is in fact trying to kill, no, not kill, but murder them. That's why White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki and her minions in the media are ramping up their obsessions with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. When the president isn't asking Ron to get out of the way, Jen Psaki's tweeting it at him. Now Joe is really going after DeSantis for his mask mandate by play, paying, paying, the government paying, Florida school systems who ignore their governor's edict. You think Biden might be a little bit insecure? Joe is certainly, Joe's is certainly bigger than Ron's. I mean, ego. (laughs) CNN talking head Jim Acosta, ever willing to spew the latest Democratic talking points, wondered if we should call the Delta variant the DeSantis variant. All of this fury directed at a governor for just advocating the personal responsibility of, you know, those parents to be allowed to choose whether or not their kids should wear a mask in school. Next, Biden is going to be challenging DeSantis to a trip out behind the barn for a Delaware whooping. (laughs) We've heard that before, haven't we? What makes these desperate political platitudes even more breathtaking is how the Biden team treats actual dangerous threats. And not just about the fact that, as even members of the Democrat talking heads media are admitting, a huge percentage of the illegal aliens swarming across the Rio Grande are COVID positive, as many as 40%. And God knows illegal immigrant COVID is not nearly as deadly as Floridian child transmitted COVID, right? (laughs) And then there's this Afghanistan thing. Joe Biden, let me introduce you to the Taliban. This disconnect with reality extends pretty much to every part of foreign affairs, too, for Joe. Former Secretary of Defense actually said, this is a quote, Joe Biden has been wrong on every policy decision he has made since he's been in government. That's 50 years, folks. On Wednesday, the Daily Mail reported that Taliban fighters are going door-to-door and forcibly marrying girls as young as 12 and forcing them into sex slavery as they seize massive swaths of Afghanistan from government forces. Later that day, A reporter asked Jen Psaki why the administration is confident that the Taliban would be interested in negotiating, you know, one of those political settlements. Psaki, wordsmith that she is, responded, the Taliban has to make an assessment about what they want their role to be in the international community. Doesn't that just make you feel warm and fuzzy, the spokesperson for the president? I think we all know the role that the Taliban envisions for itself, same one it had in 2001 before 9-11. But Jen seems to regard them as a 
Kabul branch of the League of Women Voters. I wonder if Jen found out that members of the Taliban were anti-vaxxers, or even worse, were planning to attend the Sturgis motorcycle rally. Would she start castigating them on the same contemptuous terms she usually reserves for, say, uh, Ron DeSantis? So right now, as I'm sitting here today and you and I are talking, I'm watching, I have been all morning, yesterday evening, late last night, watching and listening to the reports changing minute by minute from Afghanistan. As the Taliban are flooding into the Afghan capital city and have overrun their airport. The Afghan horror, it's multifold. All of which lies at the feet of this president, folks. Just days ago when he was asked about the U.S. departure from Afghanistan, Biden stated that the Afghan military would just have to take over the security of their nation and that they were fully prepared to do so. Secretary Blinken, he made it clear to the media that Americans and American diplomats were vacating the country in an orderly fashion and there were no concerns for their safety. In fact, Blinken compared Afghanistan and our military leaving the country to what happened as our military was vacating Vietnam. Who can forget the sight of Americans atop a building at the Saigon airport fighting to climb aboard a U.S. helicopter to escape North Vietnamese guerrillas who were just steps behind them? Blinken famously said this past week, our leaving Afghanistan is nothing like what happened in Saigon. Sadly, it's exactly as it looked when we pulled out of Vietnam and Kabul. To be fair, folks, the press secretary is merely following the big guy's lead. The president constantly describes voter ID laws he doesn't like as Jim Crow on steroids or Jim Eagle or Jim Crow 2.0. After all, Joe apparently helped craft Jim Crow while he was in the Senate. He's been in it that long. Yet Biden excuses the Chinese genocide because according to him, and it's just part of China's different cultural norms. Sure, just because China's cultural norms include beheading, dismembering, and forced organ harvesting of those Uyghurs, no one should really care after all. They mean well. It's just part of their culture. In the minds of our Democrat leaders, folks, the biggest sources of evil in the world are right here, right here in the United States. They're domestic. The petty tyrants in the White House, they're most concerned about a handful of Republican governors and the throngs of MAGA hat-wearing Americans who dare to support conservative government. Deep state elitists like Jen Psaki, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, we could go on and on and on. They all enjoy, they get off on talking tough when they're going after the 74 million allegedly unsophisticated Americans who resist their dictates. If only they could be as diplomatic and patient with us bitter clingers on as they are with the world's terrorist and genocidal governments. Maybe then would we would get a taste of that famous Biden-style unity we've been lectured so much about, but we haven't seen any of it. Now, that unity thing, 
was something that sounded really good when Joe practiced those speeches Jill wrote for him in the Delaware basement fake Oval Office. After all, if you're a Democrat in government, symbolism in what you speak is far more important than any substance. You can always respond later when asked and just say this, well, I really meant that. I really felt that way when I said it. Not so much anymore. So where is Joe? Where is Joe Biden? Well, he's in Camp David. Camp David, on vacation. In fact, on one of the household phones, Jill and Joe, if you dial it, if you have the number, which I don't, but I know I know some people that did, that you get a voicemail and says, Hi, this is President Biden and Jill. We're on vacation. It says that. And then Jen Psaki, she put a message on her White House phone. When you call that right now, she says she's on vacation starting yesterday until next Monday. It's just impossible to believe this is happening. But I want you to hear directly from your commander-in-chief. <coughs> Excuse me. Wow. Nothing, no bug flew down my throat. I just, <clears throat> I had a cough all of a sudden. I'm sorry about that. Um, I want you to hear from your commander-in-chief, my commander-in-chief, what he had to say when he was questioned by media a week ago about this Afghanistan Taliban thing and where he was. Now, remember, this is the guy that is supposed to be the most powerful man on planet Earth, the president of the United States, whoever it is, whenever it is. That's who's supposed to be in charge. And this Afghanistan thing, folks, it's nothing new. I mean, we were there 20 years. The Russians were there before us for 20 years. Nobody's ever taken over Afghanistan, and we did not go there to take over Afghanistan. I think Russia did. They found out very quickly. The Taliban, they're tough. Russia couldn't do it. We didn't even try. We were just trying to to keep them over there and to not export any of their terrorism over here. Listen to this. Listen closely to Joe Biden explaining all the reasoning for what he has done or what he has not done. What he is doing now, no, what he's not doing now in Afghanistan. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. Is the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No, it is not. Because you have the Afghan troops have 300,000 well-equipped, as well-equipped as any army in the world, and an air force against something like 75,000 Taliban. It is not inevitable. Mr. President, thank you very much. Your own intelligence community has assessed that the Afghan government will likely collapse. That is not true. Is it, can you please clarify what they have told you about whether that will happen or not? That is not true. They, so, did, not, they didn't, did not reach that conclusion. So what is the level of confidence that they have that it will not collapse? The Afghan government and leadership has to come together. They clearly have the capacity to sustain the government in place. 
And do you see any parallels between this withdrawal and what happened in Vietnam with some people feeling... None whatsoever. Zero. What you had is you had entire brigades breaking through the gates of our embassy. Six, if I'm not mistaken. The Taliban is not the, South, the North Vietnamese army. They're not, they're not remotely comparable in terms of capability. There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of a embassy in the, of the United States from Afghanistan. It is not at all comparable. So the question now is, where do they go from here? That, the jury is still out. But the likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. The Taliban overrunning everything and controlling the country is not likely. They've got, I like the way Joe, when he, when he wants to make a point, he, he gets just quickly louder. The Afghan army have 300,000 troops. Like that makes it more meaningful. And they've got to decide what they're going to do. They did, folks. The president on his own plane, he left town on Saturday. He left the country. He's gone. And the Taliban today, they control the entirety of Afghanistan. And the number that we get about people that are there that have to be gotten out by our government is close to 50,000. The airports are closed to commercial travel. At 6 o'clock this morning, I was in a meeting with Irvin Rutherford, who is one of the greatest missionaries in United States history, has spent his entire life, he's in his 70s now, he spent his entire life in Asia, all parts of Asia. Our church supports a United States family that today, as we're sitting here, is in Afghanistan in the outward part of Kabul. And they're trying to get out, and they can't get out. Nobody can get out. Our embassy, the last we were told officially, our embassy shut down yesterday, and they moved to the airport and set up shop there with a limited number of embassy folks still there. They can't get out. Folks, i got to be honest with you. This is going to go down as one of the most embarrassing things that's ever happened to the American government. I got a note this morning from Jim Montrose, my former roommate at Louisiana Tech University. He owns an international security company now, and he does a lot of work in the Middle East. This is what he was told early this morning. Taliban captures hundreds of U.S. military vehicles, drones, to keep taking over Afghanistan. On Friday, the Taliban seized control of Firoz Ko, the provincial capital of Gore, Afghanistan, marking at least 17 Afghan provincial capitals the Taliban have seized in the span of a week. Videos and photos have surfaced showing the Taliban taking over swaths of U.S.-donated military equipment that the Taliban is using to continue overtaking Afghanistan. Taliban forces have reportedly captured about 100 U.S.-made Humvees and Max Pro mine-resistant ambush-protected vehicles, as well as U.S. Scan Eagle drones left behind 
at the Kunduz airport, which they also took over. The Taliban captured Kunduz airport on Wednesday, and on Thursday, German journalist Julian Rapp tweeted the hashtag Taliban not only seized approximately 100 U.S. Humvees and Max Pro at Kunduz airport, but also several U.S. Scan Eagle drones. Two trillion U.S. taxpayer dollars going to Islamist extremists thanks to this administration's hasty withdrawal without a peace deal or follow-up mission. Uh, That's from on the ground, boots on the ground, boots on the ground. The State Department, Department of Defense, said yesterday there are thousands of Americans stranded in Afghanistan after the Taliban declared victory over the U.S.-backed government. In coming days, we will be transferring out of the country thousands of American citizens who have been resident in Afghanistan as well as locally employed staff of the U.S. mission in Kabul and their families and other particularly vulnerable Afghan nationals. That came from the State Department. Blinken. Secretary Blinken. Meanwhile, President Biden remains at Camp David, where he departed for vacation late Thursday. Since then, the President of the United States is not even addressed in any way, not even with a text or a tweet or a press release. Jen Psaki's on vacation. She's unavailable. He sits in the Camp David bunker. However, the administration, we were told, they've rushed in 3,000 forces over the weekend to evacuate Americans from Afghanistan who can't get out of Afghanistan because Taliban control the airport at Kabul. On Saturday, 1,000 more. And then on Sunday, another 1,000. Meanwhile, scenes of chaos everywhere at the airport as hundreds of Afghans and their families jockeyed for a place aboard evacuating aircraft. And you can see the video. Let me tell you, the one video that will be seen for decades to come, maybe even generations to come, is the massive, one of those big, I don't remember the the actual number of the Air Force cargo jet. I mean, massive, multi-engine, probably stands two stories tall, and it's, it's rolling very slowly, down the tarmac, ready or trying to take off. And there are hundreds of Afghani people that are chasing it, that are running beside it, that are climbing up, trying to get inside. Thank you, President Biden. Thank you so much. You are showing us what a great president you are. You promised you would be. And then, of course, the brain surgeon that runs the State Department. Listen to the CBS News version of Blinken and what is going on this morning. Today, the White House released this photo showing President Biden at Camp David meeting with members of his national security team by video conference. CBS's Christina Ruffini joins us from the White House with more on today's very fast-changing events. Christina. Good evening, Jerika. Earlier today, the American flag and the American ambassador were removed from U.S. Embassy Kabul and taken to Karzai International Airport, which has essentially become America's last stand in Afghanistan.
In terms of what we set out to do in Afghanistan, uh, we've done it. Secretary of State Antony Blinken today defended U.S. policy in Afghanistan and its repercussions. Like it or not, uh, there was an agreement that the forces would come out on May 1st. Had they not, had we not begun that process, we would have been back at war with the Taliban. American diplomats are now at the heavily fortified airport, setting up a temporary embassy with limited staff, trying to evacuate as many as 10,000 civilians. Even the dogs are getting out. This is President Biden's Saigon moment. During a briefing for lawmakers today, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs Mark Milley said al-Qaeda could now reconstitute itself faster than the original estimate of two years. They totally blew this one. They completely underestimated the strength of the Taliban. House Democrat Jason Crow, who serves in Afghanistan, called it heartbreaking. And I'm calling on the administration to put as much combat power in the ground to hold that airport as long as we possibly can to allow as many of our friends to get out. Now, about 500 embassy staff were flown out today. They were airlifted. More are expected tomorrow. The U.S. has now taken over the tower at the airport, hoping it can pick up the pace. But that doesn't account for the tens of thousands of Afghans still awaiting their SIV visas. Those are those special immigration visas for translators and people who've helped America over the 20-year war. And time is running out. Sources tell CBS News all State Department staff is expected to be ordered out of the country in the next 14 days. It won't last 14 days, folks. If those people don't get out in 14 days, if they don't get out in the next 72 hours, we are going to hear the horror stories of the Taliban taking American citizens hostage and using them to barter with the Biden administration. Doesn't that make you feel warm and fuzzy? Meanwhile, White House Press Secretary, as I told you, Jen Psaki, Well, she's going to have to circle back with those reporters that are asking about the Taliban takeover. An email that was sent from the Washington Examiner on Sunday evening to Jen Psaki got this automatic reply from Psaki's account. It says she will be out of the office yesterday through next weekend. That request for comment included several questions about when Biden plans to talk to us to brief us on what's going on in Afghanistan and take questions from the media. The automatic response, of course, did include some information about reaching other members of the press for comment. The Washington Examiner reached out to them as well. Still, the automatic email reply from Biden's leading connection to the media is sure to add to the firestorm centered on Biden's relative absence as the Afghan government has fallen. It has definitely fallen. It's over there, folks. And women especially, young girls as young as 12 years old are being forced into sex slavery. One woman yesterday was seen by some of these Taliban, and they are really hardcore Islamists, folks, one woman, some of her hair was hanging out of her the 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 garment that they had they wear over their face and head, so no skin or no body substance shows whatsoever. Hers was showing. They burned her alive. There's video out of that actually happening. That is what is going on now, and will only exacerbate moving forward. And guess what's going to happen there. Al-Qaeda, ISIS, whatever you want to call the Islamist 
group of the day. They're going to reform joint forces with the Taliban in Afghanistan. We have no way to stop anything. Our intelligence information and our sources over there are going to be completely gone. Do you understand? (coughs) Excuse me again. Do you understand that when we go into these countries, we make friends, our intelligence operations make friends with locals that are planted throughout these nations to give us information, and often they're hired. Our intelligence agencies pay them. These are people that work for us in their countries. They're putting their lives at risk and also the lives of their family members. We make promises. Our government makes promises to them that if anything happens before it gets serious, we're going to get you out of here, get you back to the United States, and set you up. There are thousands of those people that have been left in Afghanistan now have very little hope of getting out of there and they're going to be known as enemies of Islam when they're outed and they pretty much all are already and you can only imagine what the Taliban are going to do then and once again this has happened before once again the United States has broken its word this administration has broken its word its promises to the American people that were made by the president, you just heard him, within the last week. There's no problem. The Taliban can't do it. They're a circus operation. The Afghani army has 300,000. Taliban only has 70,000. Taliban owns the capital of Kabul. The first press briefing the leadership of Taliban did was on Al Jazeera, the network. Oh, by the way, you know that network? Guess who sold Al Jazeera? Who owned it and sold it? Sold it to the nation of, oh, where are the Houthis? uh, 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 I just went blank. Middle Eastern Islamic nation. Sold it to them, Al Gore. He owned Al Jazeera. They have exclusive video worldwide rights now to the Taliban. And so the very first televised briefing or hearing with the Taliban leader happened yesterday from the president of Afghanistan's office. This is just crazy that this is happening. We should have seen it coming. Let me let you hear from Jim Hansen. He's a security expert. He knows this entire part of the world inside and out, and he is hacked off. Here's Jim Hansen. This is a major and a most embarrassing defeat in U.S. history. We lost more lives in Vietnam, but this debacle is more damaging to showing the failures of our institutions. The Biden team was busy making TikTok videos and feeding Joe ice cream. The Pentagon was busy studying white rage and planning pride marches. And a bunch of savages in sandals undid 20 years of work and untold billions of dollars. Anyone involved 
involved in the planning of this exit should be fired or court-martialed, along with anyone who ever reported that the Afghan army was in any way ready for duty. Yeah, you know, Jim, the Biden administration has essentially blamed uh, former President Trump because he negotiated a troop withdrawal on May 1st. Um, what do you make of that um, sort of passing the blame moment from the administration? Joe Biden does not get to pass the blame. Donald Trump started a deal to get us out of the longest war we've ever fought, as we should have. We had no plan to win. The military leaders over the years had created this year after year of the same thing over and over again, as if that was going to change. Biden decided to go ahead and do this and assumed responsibility then for doing it competently, for failing to, to stop the advance of the Taliban on the Capitol while we were still there and our people were at risk is 100 percent a failure of Joe Biden and his national security team to plan for that. Why weren't they bombing the approaches to Kabul when the Taliban was, was rolling in and we still had diplomats, civilians, and Afghans at risk? There will be many questions like that last one that you heard that are going to be asked of the Biden administration for years going forward, even after he's gone. The question will always be there. Jim Hansen just explained the difference between the previous president and this one. The difference was, folks, do you remember? He negotiated a deal. But in the deal, there were specific qualifications and things that the, the Taliban had to do. And if at any point they did not do what they were supposed to do, the actual verbiage that was used by former President Trump was, we made it very clear to them, we will crush them immediately. Biden didn't negotiate a deal. He didn't. He just, he, he made an announcement. Hey, we're going to move out. We're going to pull out. Everybody out there, every terrorist in the world, we're going to leave. Y'all will have ready access to whatever you want. You can do anything you want. We hope you stay peaceful. But if you don't, we'll probably think bad of you. And we may not give you access to some of the stuff that we give you and some of the stuff that we do for you. Y'all be nice over there. Just go grow your heroin. Grow your poppies and flood our nation with heroin and other illegal drugs. We don't care. Just leave us alone. We don't really care about y'all either. I mean, that's exactly what it looks and sounds like. Exactly. Talk to Dan. Call 1-866-37-TRUTH. TNN Live. Don't you want money for nothing? Yeah, you do. What's the catch? There is one. Anyone who wants it can have it. You just have to ask for it. Our three-day sleepaway camp is the perfect place to strike it rich. Who are we? Well, we're the number one dream makers in the region. And you are a motivated, driven, confident individual who has a desire to make it big. Run! Don't walk! Get your heart rate above 120. This is exciting. This offer is just for you because you deserve it. Come alone. So don't wait. The early bird catches the worm and the worm is a bus at 143 industrial way that leaves at dawn so grab destiny by the horns go on grab it it's yours for the taking money for nothing whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school childhood is always in session so keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks just like when you were a kid 
Remember their naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. In store, some mates other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and some mates new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sun-made snacks. like to join in this conversation, feel free to do so toll-free, 866-37-TRUTH, 866-378-7884. Um, we're just going to do a couple of other mentions, things about uh, what's going on in Afghanistan. We'll, of course, uh, if during the show any major things come up and happen, we'll, of course, break in and, and give you that information. Do you remember the name Ryan Crocker? Ryan Crocker may ring a bell. He was Obama's ambassador for two years to Afghanistan. And uh, overnight last night, he lamented that the Biden administration failed to see the Taliban swift takeover when preparing for the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And listen to this. this. Listen to what he said. He said, I think the direction was predictable. The trajectory was not. What President Biden has done is to embrace the Afghan policy of President Trump. And this is the outcome. Mr. President, some Vietnamese veterans see echoes of their experience in the withdrawal in Afghanistan. Do you see any parallels between this withdrawal and what happened in Vietnam? And you heard Biden's response. He immediately said, zero. Well, Ryan Crocker who was Obama's ambassador when Joe was vice president. He said he is now questioning President Joe Biden's ability to even lead our nation. Hmm. He believed the Biden administration should have been ready to provide adequate air support to the Afghan forces to keep them in place, stationed all through the country. In February of last year, then-President Trump said his administration's agreement would be contingent upon the Taliban's cooperation, like I told you going into the break. If bad things happen then, he says, we'll go back in. This is Trump. Former Secretary of State Pompeo equally promised, quote, today we are realistic. We're seizing the best opportunity for peace in a generation. Today we are restrained. We recognize that America shouldn't fight in perpetuity in the graveyard of empires if we can help Afghans forge peace there. So this entire spectacle, and it is becoming a spectacle, I'm talking about the Taliban overtaking Kabul, while we withdraw, it's going to have consequences for years to come, according to Crocker. He fears that Islamists will now have a calling card of victory, and they're going to use it like you just can't imagine, in recruiting strategies. We're going to pay for that for a long time to come, he said. That's why it's insane, just idiotic to think that we can tell the Taliban if they don't stop taking over territory and play nice, the international community will withhold recognition and support. The Taliban doesn't give a rip. This is the former ambassador saying this because they've got something far more valuable. I'm left with some great concerns, 
and questions in my mind about Biden's ability to lead our nation as commander-in-chief. To have read this so wrong, or even worse, to have understood what was likely to happen and not care, that's not presidential at all. So you would imagine when we're sitting here looking at this and there are thousands of Americans that are stuck over there, who knows what's going to happen to them? Not just military folks, not just people in the embassy folks. There are a lot of people that live there. There are companies that have employees that work there. There are people that have chosen to go live there that are Americans. They haven't done anything wrong. None of them have. And now their ability and the way to get out of the country and get to safety has been cut off because this president ignored the real threat of what is happening right now. So you would imagine that America, as we always have, I mean, in Vietnam and both of the uh, Iraq wars, in Korea, way back in World War II, I wasn't around, obviously, and I didn't know what was going on in the Korean War. I was very aware what was happening during Vietnam. And, of course, in Iraq, we all began to pull together as Americans. And our partners around the world, our peace partners around the world, we all pulled together. And when I say we all pull together, I'm talking about companies. I'm talking about individuals, members of governments at federal and state levels. We all pull together. One common cause, the Americans, each other. Well, it'll probably shock you that one of our social media giants, they're not so much where we are in that thinking. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, you know, he's the one that cuts everybody off that's a conservative or on his watch. He's the CEO of Twitter. He canceled President Trump's entire account. Guess who is posting today, who's tweeting today on Twitter? The leader of the Taliban. Murderous, rapist, terrorist Taliban. It's okay. According to Jack Dorsey and Twitter, it's okay for them to use American-created social media to spread their um, venom. They're probably using Twitter to recruit new terrorists online. Seriously, folks, you can't make this up. This is happening. Our social media giants, the second biggest, Facebook obviously the first, Twitter second, they are allowing the Taliban to use their platform. Congressman Crenshaw, Dan Crenshaw, he's from Texas. Uh, you see him all the time. He's the guy that wears the patch. He went nuts over this, this tweet. He said, we assured all embassies, diplomatic centers, institution, and places, and foreign nationals in Kabul, they will not face any danger. Let everyone be in Kabul. With full confidence, the forces of the Islamic Emirate are tasked with strengthening the security of Kabul and other cities. Oh, my gosh. What are we going to do? I can can tell you this. One thing we can do. 
one thing we should do, one thing we certainly need to do, is we need to pray for everybody over there. We need to pray that all of the innocents, all of the innocents are protected, that something will come over these terrorists whose life work is to diminish anything and anybody that doesn't 100% align with them and their thinking about everything. They already said they were going to instill Sharia law almost immediately. If you don't know the tenets of Sharia law, we posted several years ago, we posted an entire uh, document. It was actually a list of uh, the tenets of Sharia and it was put in English We'll pull it out and post it again. In fact, if I'd have thought about it overnight, I'd have pulled it out and posted it today. But during the day today, we'll put it up again. What Sharia law is all about and when a nation, an Islamic nation, institutes Sharia law, it, it supersedes any of the laws of any country. In fact, there are activist Muslims in our government and Congress today that would promote and love to have Sharia law here in the United States. And here's the bat. You can say, oh, well, you know, that's a religion and they have different ideas and policies and the way they go. And we have the freedom of religion here. No, no, no. You don't understand. Sharia law in Islam, Sharia supersedes any law. It would replace the United States Constitution. They would want that to happen. And you'll see when, when I posted exactly what's involved with that. It'll scare the whatever out of you. We never thought we'd be here where we are today. We never thought we wouldn't have any borders anymore. We never thought we would uh, demonize everybody. We would steal and take away through our government all of our freedoms and liberties. We never thought that was going to happen in our lifetime. We're living in that, that atmosphere right now. Let me give you another example of it. Over the weekend, the Department of Homeland Security, that's Anthony Mayorkas, Alejandro Mayorkas, issued a brand new national terrorism bulletin. And that's a good idea to keep us on point, let us know what's staring us in the face. This uh, bulletin warns us of a heightened threat environment across the U.S., and they're doing this in advance of the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 terrorist attacks in New York. It says the United States continues to face diverse and challenging threats. Those threats include domestic terrorist activities by individuals or groups engaged in grievance-based violence and those motivated by foreign terrorists and the other malign foreign influences. Both domestic and foreign threat actors are increasingly using the Internet to spread their violent extremist narratives and promoting violent activities. Foreign and domestic threat actors to include foreign intelligence services, international terrorist groups, and domestic violent extremists continue to introduce, amplify, and disseminate narratives online that promote violence. That that makes perfect sense to me. They noted that potential targets include elected officials, political representatives, government facilities, law enforcement, religious communities, and perceived ideologically opposed individuals. There are also, listen to this now, there are also continued nonspecific calls for violence 
on multiple online platforms associated with these DVE, which are these domestic violent extremists. Domestic means from here. These platforms are associated with domestic violent extremist ideologies or conspiracy theories on perceived election fraud and alleged reinstatement and responses to anticipated restrictions relating to the increasing COVID cases. I'm going to stop right there. Do you get what Mayorkas put out over the weekend? Do you get what he's saying? If you have even a thought in your brain that there were election irregularities, that there was potential fraud in November 3rd's election last year. In his mind, you're a domestic terrorist. If you happen to be one of those people, and and I have two friends that were, uh, three friends actually, that were on January 6th in Washington that heard the president speak at the White House that morning and marched peaceably down to the Capitol. None of the three that I know, my friends, actually breached the Capitol and were there. But according to Mayorkas, they're domestic terrorists. Domestic terrorists, folks. Oh, and by the way, if you don't believe in vaccinations, if you don't believe the COVID vaccination is for you, if you're refusing to take one, you're not wearing a mask or whatever, according to Mayorkas, you're a domestic terrorist. I am not joking, folks. Our government, this is the director, the Secretary of Homeland Security. That is the entity that's supposed to keep us safe domestically here in the United States. That's the guy that has opened up the border on Joe Biden's watch and has let a million people from other countries come in here with no idea who they are, what countries they came from, what they want to be here for, what they bring in with them open up the borders, and we have all kinds of illegal drugs and guns being run across the border. And we're domestic terrorists. I am not a vaccinated, COVID-vaccinated person. I will not be COVID-vaccinated unless they send me into unconsciousness and do it while I'm there. I'm not going to do it. I don't believe in it. I don't think constitutionally it can be forced on Americans even though they're doing it across the nation. It will end up at the Supreme Court and I think the Supreme Court based on the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution will kick it down. We have no idea what's going on behind the scenes but what we do know is if you do not agree with anything and everything this government, the Democrat-led far-left slash Democrat-led government, if you don't believe everything they say and do it benignly by just stepping in line, you're a domestic terrorist. Their words, or excuse me, Mayorkas's words, not mine. And then you have the activists in the media that are just falling in line. MSNBC host Joy Reid, she is really quite an an activist. She came under fire Saturday when she compared the religious right in the United States to guess who? The Taliban. This is a national 
television network host, Joy Reid. And if you're in her definition of the religious right in the United States, and I got to be honest with you, by her definition, I'm in that bucket. She claims that the religious white right want to force women solely into childbirth and out of the workforce. She tweeted this. This is the real-life handmaid's tale. Comparing the situation in Afghanistan to the novel and dystopian drama series The Handmaid's Tale. In that, women are portrayed as property and forced to bear children. A true cautionary tale for the U.S., which has our own far religious right dreaming of a theocracy that would impose a particular brand of Christianity, drive women from the workforce, and solely into childbirth and control all politics. She tweeted that. And then, of course, the critics blasted her for showing her true feelings about Republicans and the religious right. This is what Joy Reid thinks of conservatives and Republicans, tweeted Curtis Hauk. And others weighed in or whatever, but folks, that's not the big thing. The big thing is this is a national television network cable spokesperson, Joy Reid. And somehow she has been enlightened to the fact, endowed with the knowledge that if you disagree with the left, if you're a member of what she calls the religious right, you are in the same boat as those in the Taliban. She went so far as to claim the Republican Party's only platform was what she called the dystopian show, several times calling it a documentary of what was taking place in the United States and claimed America narrowly escaped the same fate when Joe Biden won. Gosh, it just goes on and on and on and gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. But there's more there, folks. There's more to this. Yeah, I know we spent the first hour talking about Joe Biden, talking about the um, the problems that we have with our leadership in the nation. We talked about Afghanistan. We talked about our friends over there that are still there trying to save their lives and the lives of their family members by just simply getting out. Who would have thought on this this Monday, going into the fall here in the United States, that we would actually be looking at a similar situation, almost exact same circumstances as happened in Vietnam. And uh, listen, here here's the tragedy. I mean, there are tons of tragedies, and there'll be... You'll, you'll be for days and days and months and months and maybe even years be hearing news stories that come out. The tragedies are that thousands, tens of thousands of American soldiers, men and women, through 20 years, have heeded the call of our government and given their lives to go over there, laying their lives down. If they are taken, that would have been considered to be part of their service. They did that voluntarily. Many of them that came back today are minus limbs. Representative Crenshaw, minus one eye, struggling to keep the other eye. Limbs, 
Many have lost their lives. Many can't even speak anymore. Having horrible mental and emotional issues that are eternal. They'll never go away. More than 2,300 killed in the line of service over there. And they were over there not to take over Afghanistan like all of the naysayers have said forever. It's about time that we stop nation building. This was not ever intended to be about nation building. This was to keep Al-Qaeda and other Islamic groups from going over there and creating and perpetrating from their terrorist acts against us and our allies around the world. That was the only reason we went and the only reason we were still there. And I'll repeat this as we go into a break. I'll repeat it. Don't let anybody tell you, well, Trump announced that he was going to pull out on May the 1st if he was reelected. There's a huge difference. Trump was a business manager. He was a deal maker. He put on the table an exhaustive plan. Here's what we'll do if you, talking to the Taliban, does this. There was an agreement that was put together. And the biggest part of the agreement was what we would do if they violated the terms of the agreement. But he said on international television, if you don't, if the Taliban doesn't abide by this, we will crush them, whatever it took. And you know what? They knew exactly what he was saying because terror is afraid of one thing and one thing only. Somebody that is willing to die to stop them and has the power to stop them. Under a Donald Trump, we had that power. Under Joe Biden, eh, not so much. For the health and safety of our guests and team members, we're here for you. That means frequently deep cleaning our stores and wiping down carts and baskets after each use, reserving dedicated shopping hours for our most vulnerable guests, providing masks and gloves to our team members, and offering contactless shopping options through the Target app, like drive-up and same-day delivery. We are here for you now more than ever, and your health and safety is our highest priority. Learn more at Target.com slash a bullseye view. Wendy's famous 4 for 4 is heating up with a new spicy crispy chicken sandwich. The queen of spice is delivering that spicy chicken you love with lettuce and mayo between two deliciously soft buns. And yes, in classic 4 for 4 fashion, you can get all that spicy goodness with spicy or crispy nuggets, fries, and a drink to cool off, all for just 4 bucks. Is it getting hot in here? Or did Wendy's just deliver the hottest deal in fast food? We got you. Offer includes four-piece nuggets, junior frying, value drink. Price participation may vary. Welcome to Staples. Staples guy, my company has like seven different printers. How's your ink selection? Behold, Staples Wall of Ink. Just wow. A huge selection of ink and toner guaranteed in stock. Hello, awesome. If it's not, we take $10 off and ship it to you free. Pinch me. I said pinch. I heard you. New low prices on ink and toner and an in-stock guarantee. Staples, make more happen. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey, Ed Itchy in Idaho. Yes, the Culligan high efficiency water softener will make that thing so soft, it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. 
Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Drinking water is essential to your health. That's why you need to drink plenty of water to keep you hydrated throughout the day. Unlike power drinks or soft drinks, water is truly the only drink that can quench your thirst. It's an easy, refreshing way to keep your body healthy and strong. Freshen up today with a brisk, cool bottle of water. Uncertain about what you see and hear in mainstream media? Worried about getting the truth? No worries anymore. Get the truth, only the truth, at TNN, the Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org. Don't forget, every day, pretty much every day, we, um, we have an article that's posted live, sometimes more than one. Sometimes we have some guest contributors like Kelly Nelson and others. And um, you can always grab them first thing in the morning at truthnewsnet.org. That's truthnewsnet.org. Now, let me tell you how you can uh, make sure you never miss one of these stories. On the homepage of Truth News Network, down in the bottom right side, there's a place to subscribe. Now, let me tell you what subscription here means. We never sell anything. We never ask you for anything. You don't get direct mail from us. The only thing you will receive from us if you enter your name and your email address is anytime a new story goes live on the website, you'll get an email that will announce, hey, this story's here, and you can click on the contained link in that email, and it'll take you right to that new story. So you don't ever have to miss a story. And when you go looking for something, you don't have to go to the homepage and dig through the menus and find it. You can just go right to it. All it takes is your name and your email address. We've been on, on the, let's see, we've been active at Truth News Net, uh, at least the, uh, the blog part of it, the written stuff, for three years. We've never sent an email other than to let you know about a story that includes a link. We've ne- and we never share anybody's email with anyone else. And we have thousands of people that are subscribers. We just don't do that. We're not here to monetize this thing, incidentally. We don't make any money from this. Um, that's not what it's about. It's about our commitment to the truth and ferreting the, out the truth and getting it to you. There's so much disinformation. There's so much lying going on in government. I mean, we could sit here all day and tell jokes about political lies and politicians and all that kind of stuff and laugh about it. It's definitely not a laughing matter. We're living in a time right now. I just want to wake up some of you folks. We're living in a time right now that is a biblical time. More than ever before in my life, you can read, go to the book of Revelation, get a get a uh, contemporary version of the Bible that makes it easier to read. And read the book of Revelation. It doesn't take a long time. But events and things that are talked about in there, you can actually point to specific things happening right now that jump off the page from the book of Revelation. It's uncanny 
how similar it is. And even, just put that to the side for the second, the, the biblical part, and you can't do that because it's actually happening. But as far as thinking about it and pondering it, put it to the side. Just put everything that you know is going on in our nation, that's going on in your world, put it all in one big bucket right now and just try to reach your hand in and grab one little part of it that you can actually explain in its entirety and you have a confirmation, some kind of consensus thinking that it will be resolved and hear how it's going to be resolved. You can't do it. I can't do it. All of this stuff that's going on, we have no answers. We don't. We don't have any answers. So where what do you get? Where is the source for all this, Dan? Well, what did Jesus say? The love of money is the root of all evil. And what did the actor Cuba Gooding say in that movie when he was screaming out to Tom Cruise, who was his sports agent, NFL player? What did he say? He screamed it. Show me the money. Show me the money. You find the money in anything going on, and you're going to find the source, the root of the evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Well, then these politicians in the United States, they're filthy rich now. They go to Washington, D.C. just everyday folks, many of them. Some of them are lawyers. In fact, there are a bunch of lawyers in Congress, hundreds of lawyers in the House and the Senate. But just because you're a lawyer doesn't mean you're filthy rich. But just because you're a United States senator and a United States representative in the House of Representatives, that all together does mean you're filthy rich when you leave office because part of the process of running our government is to find ways to make you money. Let me give you one example, a new one that popped out. Do you know the name Ted Lieu? L-I-E-U. Ted Lieu is a Democrat from California in the House of Representatives. And he's got himself in a little bit of hot water, and guess what it's about? It's about money. He donated more than $50,000 that came from his campaign. And he donated it to his alma mater just as his son, Ted Lou's son, is preparing to enter the school for his freshman year. And this information, it's not a rumor. It came from Federal Election Commission filings. And it shows that Lou gave $51,046 to Stanford University. Stanford University, 51046 I have no idea why the, I mean, 50000 would be sufficient for me, but $51,046 is the actual amount. Lou's son is starting Stanford later this month as a freshman in the class of 2025, according to his Instagram bio, prompting scrutiny of the congressman's donations and his references to the school's infamous Varsity Blues scandal. Now, the nearly decade-long scandal saw William Singer, if you remember it, this is the Varsity Blues thing, William Singer fraudulently inflated test scores and bribed college admissions officials such as Stanford for the kids of rich folks. 
And that included actresses Felicity Huffman and Lori Laughlin. Congressman Lou faced scrutiny for the donations after they were brought up again online by a Twitter user with the account of the user who posted screenshots of the filings later being suspended by Twitter. You know, Twitter, Facebook, they don't like this truth thing. They don't like it at all. And if it has anything negative to say about any of the folks that they support, which all have a D after their name, they'll cancel you. And they can do that because they're private companies, not government, and so they don't have to align with the First Amendment and abide by it like you and I do. So according to the Federal Elections Commission, campaigns are allowed to give financial contributions to charitable organizations, but the money can't be used for purposes that personally benefit the candidate. So there's a not-for-profit out there. It's called the Center for Responsive Politics. They run the campaign finance watchdog organization, Open Secrets. They said that campaigns are legally allowed to donate funds to colleges and universities, but it's more common with outgoing lawmakers. Campaigns can and do donate to charities and universities from their campaign funds, but it's mostly common when a member's retiring, has leftover cash, and you know, $50,106, and that would be more like that kind of thing, but Lou's not leaving office. It's unclear if his contributions to Stanford influence the university's decision to admit his son. And of course, neither his campaign or Stanford University has stepped up and given us any explanation other than the fact that it actually did happen. Go figure that. We know it happened. We got him, and he's busted. So we'll keep our eye on old Ted Lou. He is a very, very vociferous person when it comes to anything anti-conservative. He demeans Republicans, those of his congressional members, and especially people that are and were Trump supporters. So let's move on to some other scandalous news on planet Earth. (laughs) We haven't had enough of that today, have we? By the way, if you want to weigh in, 866-37-TRUTH. 866-378-7884. It was a document that was published on Thursday, and it came out of Scotland. I just happened to see it and uh, saw there was a picture. Um, There's a picture at the top of this memo that went out of a little boy and it caught my eye. I don't know why, but it caught my eye. And so I, uh, I pulled it down and read it. The Scottish government has created a 70 page document and the document is a way of LGBT inclusion. Now they sent this document to their schools in Scotland, the government did. It tells teachers to ask pupils for their new names and pronouns rather than questioning or probing any further. According to this guidance from the Scottish government, a transgender young person may not have told their family about their gender identity. Justifying an action like that with the following text, Inadvertent disclosure could cause needless stress for the young person or could even put them at risk and breach legal requirements. 
Therefore, it is best to not share information with parents or carers without considering and respecting the young person's views and rights. In this way, the government is deciding how to educate and train a child behind the back of the parent's thoughts or ideas on this or any other matter for that reason. In addition, the document suggests that transgender students can choose the bathroom or locker room they want to use, which could uh, represent a danger for females, you think? (laughs) What about those boys in high school and their hormones, huh? In high schools, there are students from pre-adolescence to adolescence over 18 years old. If they they implement this, it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to work out well. Back in July, the Scottish Deputy First Minister, a guy named John Swinney, said that they are already considered one of the most progressive countries in Europe. Wow, that's exciting to know. This new government guide has generated rejection in a bunch of different sectors. The co-director of the Campaign Group for Women Scotland, Marion Calder, considers that this is really, really worrying, she added. It used to be commonly understood that children should be able to play and experiment with gender roles, with clothing, their likes and dislikes. But now she understands that children are being encouraged to make changes at a medical level for the rest of their lives. In light of the situation where kids are being encouraged to undergo sex change surgery, here in the U.S., the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services recently declared that sex change surgery on kids constitutes child abuse. Go figure. Somebody would actually step up and confirm. A government entity would step up and confirm something that is so obvious. That ruling was signed by Texas DFPS Director Jamie Masters. It was in response to Governor Greg Abbott's August 6th request that the agency charged with protecting Texas kids, also elderly, and people with disabilities from abuse, neglect, or exploitation should clarify the issue as it's interpreted by current Texas law. Quote, subjecting a child to genital mutilation through reassignment surgery creates a genuine threat of substantial harm from physical injury to the child. That's in the letter that Governor Abbott wrote to Masters. Surgeries that seek to alter a kid's sexual identity and provide a child with a transgender identity will be considered a form of child abuse as of this ruling in Texas. Masters the director of the DFPS, Jamie Masters, Masters' response to the Texas governor's letter was as follows. Genital mutilation of a child through reassignment surgery is child abuse subject to all rules and procedures pertaining to child abuse under federal and Texas state law. And I think you'll agree. I know every mom and dad will agree. I'm a I'm a poppy, Marianne's a a nanny, we're grandparents. We have six grandkids. I think parents will all agree that this is a big deal that's going on around us. And if you think it's a big deal to you, just imagine how big a deal it is to these little kids. 
We're talking about three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten year old kids. And their parents are actually getting involved, and other parents and teachers are getting involved. And they're actually making decisions and forcing them on these babies or even teaching the babies about this stuff that they cannot and don't understand. We all know that. But encouraging these kids to, for themselves, make a gender reassignment decision, talk to their teachers, and hide it from their parents. And the teachers are being told by the government to make that happen. That's in Scotland, of course. Folks, our kids are in the bullseye of all of this insanity that is permeating the nation. Critical race theory, transgenderism, um, COVID-19 stuff. Do you realize that kids in America, not just public school kids, but many private school kids nationwide, went through a year, missed a year of normal education because of government-instigated and instilled lockdowns across the nation, supposedly for our health. They were forced out of classrooms. They were forced to stay at home, go online. Sometimes four, five, six-year-old kids were having to do schoolwork on computers. They don't have a clue, many of them, at that age. How to work a Zoom broadcast? Can you imagine the emotional stress that these kids were feeling every day for a year plus just because of the COVID-19 crap? So let me tell you what's happening. And I haven't even thought about this until this weekend, and I started reading some of this. Our kids are going back to school. Our grandkids are back at school. Our number two grandson, he started to college today, moved into his apartment in the college town on Saturday. So as our kids are going back to school, some of the parents and guardians are making a a weighty and a heavy decision. They're choosing to hold their kids back a grade, sometimes to transfer their kids to another school or maybe even doing both, hold them back a grade, take them out of public school, send them to a different school. When the pandemic hit the U.S. more than a year and a half ago, many states went on lockdown. Schools were required to move to the Zoom thing, remote learning without much warning. And for some kids, that switch in the way it happened significantly impacted their education. They they lost a, a year, at least one school year. One father, Preston Grinstead from Las Vegas, he said that his eight-year-old boy struggled with all the computer programs and software he had to use to do his schoolwork. Eight years old. Eight years old. Now, they're sharp. They're much sharper, the eight-year-olds today, than we were as eight-year-olds, I promise. And I'm not being sexist. I'm not being elitist. I'm just telling you. When I was eight years old, folks, I was just coming off some bad health stuff But all I really cared about was, was I able to buy that new baseball glove for the summer season? And how was I going to find the money to do it? It was going to cost me like $10. My mom and dad didn't have an extra 10. And what kind of jerseys was my Little League baseball team going to wear that year? 
And our eight-year-olds today are having to learn computer programs and software just to do schoolwork. A lot of the assignments required uploading documents, scanning things, using Dropbox, emailing teachers, this dad said. The boy's reading level was about what you would expect of a first grader, so to expect him to be able to do that when they haven't even really begun digging into how to use a computer, it's unrealistic. The lockdowns for him in Las Vegas, this little boy Noah, started when Noah was finishing up first grade. He then spent the majority of his second grade year learning remotely. During that time, Noah needed constant attention and help from his dad, and in the middle of all of that, his reading fell behind. He was so frustrated, Dad said. He basically felt like he was an idiot, and that's a quote from him. So Dad added that Noah basically didn't get anything out of his entire second grade year. He's at a tremendous disadvantage. I feel like these are some of the most important years of school because it's the fundamentals and basics. We were worried it would create a snowball effect over the next several years. So that's why Grinstead, he decided to transfer Noah to a private school, which continued in-person learning last year. Now Noah is going to repeat second grade for this upcoming school year. In the event lockdowns come back into place, which is very possible, the dad said, there's no coming back if he misses two years. And I couldn't take that risk. So we're sucking it up and paying to send him to private school. Now then, the obvious question pops up, well, what does Noah think about this? I mean, think about it. Eight-year-old kid. Well, Grinstead said his boy took the news better than expected, though he didn't want to transfer schools with the notion he was going to have to start over and make new friends. He understands why he has to do second grade again, Dad said. I told him it's not his fault. He did kind of understand that. I said, you didn't learn anything. Yes, you got work done, but you didn't actually learn anything. So here's a woman from Charlotte, North Carolina. Her name is Jane. She had to have a conversation just like this with her two nephews, Nathan, who is seven, and Dayan, who is six. Jane said that when her nephews, who she cares for, started school in the fall of 2020, Dayan was assigned to first grade, but she thinks he probably should have been placed in kindergarten. All the kids in his class virtually were almost writing and reading as he was behind. She said for both boys, much of their school time was spent in virtual waiting rooms, doing assignments on their own. What five-year-old do you know that's going to work independently, she said. And she said it was much tougher for Dan because he couldn't read. Meanwhile, Nathan, the brother, fell behind in math, required additional tutoring. So this dad and this aunt... And these children aren't the only ones falling behind academically in this pandemic. A December report from McKinsey & Company estimated that students fell behind an average of 90 days, three months on math, and one and a half months on reading in 2020. Meanwhile, another study, one in October of last year from Stanford, found that students in some states lost up to a year in reading and more than a year in math. Because... Jane's nephews struggle with the e-learning model. 
Jane decided to transfer them to a charter school in February. She placed Nathan in the first grade, day in in kindergarten for that semester, so that when they started to school next week, Nathan will be repeating second grade and Dayan will be repeating first grade. When she told the boys they would be repeating grades, she said they took it well. It was great, she said. We don't hide anything from them. We explained to them that here's why we're doing this, because they struggled. In-person charter school, she said, better suited her nephews versus a just-get-it-done mentality they often had amid virtual learning. Now, this brings up another conversation, private versus public. Let me just say this. I went from start to finish to a private school, excuse me, to a public school. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. I never went to, pub, to private school, always public. Our three kids went to public school. They all came through public education. And we all did fine. My wife did too. Three kids, first grade through 12th grade, graduation, and we all did fine. Things changed, folks. And let me tell you what changed. Public education changed. When I was in public school, when comparing education, public education from country to country, the United States was always in the top three. We're not even in the top 30 any longer. Public education has gone down the commode. Why has that happened? There are a whole lot of reasons. People can blame it on whoever and whatever they want to. But let me tell you, public education, private education makes no difference. Education is pivotal to the establishment in life of kids. Kids are created. Their identity is created while they're in their formative years in education. The first three or four years are critical. And today, as an example of people that don't give a rip, the heads of the two biggest teachers' unions in, an, in America, why do we need teachers' unions at all? They're up there daring the government not to do what they tell the government to do regarding everything about school this year, COVID, masking, vaccinations, the whole thing all thrown in, daring the government to not do what the teachers' unions who represent thousands of teachers from coast to coast. If you don't do what we say, we're going to walk out. We're not going to be teaching at all, and your kids are going to get stupid. That's virtually, that's not what they're saying, but that's virtually what they're saying, blackmail. And of course, they're saying, we want this, we want this, we want this. That's all unions do, folks. That's all they're good for. Back when people were working slave labor jobs at slave labor prices, there was no health, no coordination, no safety. That was a time when we desperately in the United States need labor unions. That expired in the 30s and the 40s. I'm not saying we don't need to have oversight. I'm saying we don't need somebody in between. Teachers should be able to talk to their bosses directly. Bosses should be able to talk to their employees directly. Why do you have to have unions in between? 
Unions are good for one thing and one thing only today, and I'm, I'm sad that I'm saying what I'm saying, but it's perpetrating their existence and the need for that existence and to bilk their union members for tens of millions of dollars, and they do it for the love of money and for the accumulation of power. Those two, the love of money and accumulation of power, feed off each other. This is a prime example. And the school stuff, it's all now, it swings around COVID-19. So as we've told you day after day after day after day, and we're less than 30 minutes and we're just now for the first time even going to talk about COVID-19, there are some important things to consider. In just a moment, we're gonna, I'm going to give you five questions that we all need to be asking of Anthony Fauci. Over the weekend, guess what happened? As should always happen, a new COVID-19 vaccine study came out. Now, this is from a couple of um, pretty heavyweight, very uh, well-respected entities that colluded for this study. The Mayo Clinic was one. Cambridge-backed biotech company Inference was the second. Found in this joint study that both mRNA COVID-19 vaccines' effectiveness, we're talking about the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines, their effectiveness dropped significantly in the month of July. The researchers in those two entities, they said the vaccines provided good protection against the virus, but they found that Moderna's vaccine effectiveness was 76% as compared with Pfizer's 42%. Think about that. The best that one of them does is three quarters of the people that take it are going to be protected from COVID. That's the Moderna. Pfizer's less than half. That study is a preprint study. It hasn't been fully peered review. Guess who said that? Anthony Fauci. When it was brought up on CBS's Face the Nation, and they talked about this study, he just asked, uh, he responded with that. Well, that's just a preprint study. It's not peer-reviewed, fully peer-reviewed. I don't doubt what they're seeing, but there are a lot of confounding variables in there, Fauci said, about when one was started, the relative amount of people in that cohort who were Delta versus Alpha, he said, referring to two COVID-19 variants. He didn't elaborate. Both Moderna and Pfizer should be used as booster shots, he said. Right now, if we get boosters, it's clear we want to make sure we get people, if possible, to get the boost from the original vaccine. Now, Fauci's been the head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases since 1984. And he's become one of the federal government's public faces in its messaging about all things to do with COVID-19. In that interview, Fauci also said he hopes the FDA fully authorizes the vaccines. The Mayo Clinic didn't respond to a request for comment on Fauci's remarks. Mayo Clinics and inference researchers examined records to determine the vaccine's efficacy. The scientists noted that the study hasn't been peer-reviewed, but despite their findings, 
The researchers touted the effectiveness of the mRNA vaccine, saying they strongly protect against COVID and severe disease. Larger studies with more diverse populations are warranted to guide critical pending public and global health decisions, such as the optimal timing for booster shots and which vaccines should be administered to individuals who have not yet received one dose. Pfizer previously had said that they and their partner BioNTech are driven by science to discover the best approaches to combat the virus. Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci, and his modus operandi on everything he says. If it, if it doesn't line up with what he has said publicly or he thinks, it's wrong. It's just, well, they got to be wrong. They don't know, you know, there's this and this and this. I guarantee you he hadn't looked at either study, hadn't talked to anybody at Mayo or Inference to find out what might have been missed in this study or him to ask questions. And so speaking of questions, why don't we do this right now? You want to take a break for it? Let's, let's take a break. We'll take a break. When we come back, folks, you don't want to miss this. We are going to, um, we're going to ask Dr. Fauci five different questions, five. And I think especially as brilliant as he is, Answering five simple questions about COVID-19, especially he knows every, I mean, the COVID gods call him every day and ask for information that Dr. Fauci gives to the COVID gods. If you don't think he's the smartest guy on the planet, just ask him. Oh my gosh, he'll give you a million different reasons and examples why, and also at the same time, why you're stupid. He knows best. Anthony does. Now more than ever, you need the truth. Real news. Real truth. TNN. The Truth News Network. Disruptive may be just another overused buzzword, but disruptions in business like network downtime, data loss, social media abuse, and limited bandwidth are downright disruptive. For businesses large or small, Barracuda Networks offers powerful, affordable, yet easy-to-implement content security, application delivery, and data protection solutions, all designed to prevent disruptions and simplify IT. For an online demo or to try any of our security or storage solutions risk-free for 30 days, visit barracuda.com disruptive. Long live the courageous, the tenacious, the ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good, the helping hand, those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram, proven to last. I thought we'd get through the day 
in discussions using COVID-19 examples of what's going on without there being a bunch of insanity. But during the break, I happened to get a little note about some kind of craziness COVID-related happening in my state, happening today in central Louisiana. We have statewide, Governor John Bill Edwards has a mask up. Everybody wears a mask. And so that means kids going to school. So one parent in central Louisiana had her child turned away from their school this morning when they showed up without mask. I said child, it's children. Megan O'Quinn, the parent of the children, sent her kids to Central Elementary School without their mask. And this is according to her third grader. Third grader said they were refused entrance to the school after they refused to mask up. We're out. We're out of the school system, parent Megan O'Quinn said. We're homeschoolers now. She withdrew her children from the school, began the process of starting homeschooling after this happened. O'Quinn also explained that she put in mask exemption forms, but the schools supposedly refused them. There were fewer than 10 students across the Central Community School District that weren't allowed inside of school because they wouldn't wear a mask. The district is going to enforce Governor Edwards' mandate and will continue to expect everyone to comply, they said. O'Quinn said she has no regrets, would do the same again if it, had, if it happened. Louisiana has broken records for patients hospitalized with COVID almost every day since August 3rd. Of course, in that report that comes from WAFB News out of Baton Rouge, you notice that last line, Louisiana's broken records for patients hospitalized with COVID-19 almost every day since August 3rd. They never mention the mortality numbers because they're not dying. They're not dying. And those hospitalizations, in large part, are people that catch COVID-19 that have been double-vaxxed. Fact, folks. Fact. So let's go back to Dr. Fauci. Five questions for Fauci. I think it's safe to say we can ask him. So let's begin with this one. Why did Dr. Fauci continue funding the lab? Talking about the Wuhan lab in Wuhan, China. Why did he continue funding the Wuhan Laboratory of Virology, while at the same time predicting an impending pandemic. Let me take you back a little. At the start of 2017, 2017, 2017, folks, Fauci warned that the Trump administration would face the threat of a deadly pandemic or a surprise outbreak. What Fauci didn't say was that he knew of this real danger because he was the one funding dangerous gain-of-function experiments at the Wuhan lab. Although he said it was unnecessary to make this disclosure, the French government, who, by the way, helped build the Wuhan lab, they felt differently than did Fauci. The French government chose not to share information with China and even warned the U.S. that the Wuhan lab could one day be transformed into a biological arsenal. Now, who would they notify in the U.S., the French government? Well, who would that be? Anthony Fauci. So Fauci needs to be asked and he needs to answer why he failed to disclose that lab spent years 
retrieving thousands of virus samples from an abandoned mine, including a new virus that would later prove to be the closest known genetic match to COVID-19. That was question number one. Question number two. How did Fauci respond to reports of poor safety standards at the Wuhan lab? And what safeguards did he put in place to ensure that the work he funded did not benefit the Chinese Communist Party? Way, 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 way back. 2012 now. Fauci reported he had funded a Dutch virologist to conduct some of that gain-of-function experiments that would attempt to make dangerous viruses go airborne. I still don't think that should be being done. It just makes absolutely no sense. Fauci is publicly on the record acknowledging that these experiments are, in fact, dangerous, but proposed certain criteria under which they could continue. However, it does call for us, as you mentioned, to balance carefully the benefit of the research to the public health, the biosafety and biosecurity conditions under which the research is conducted, and the potential risk that the knowledge gained from such research might fall into the hands of those with ill intent. That, of course, was Dr. Fauci. He talked about the need for safety, but he failed to follow his own rules. The Wuhan experiments which Fauci's organization funded, they operated outside the protocols that Fauci implemented, promoted himself. Multiple warnings were issued regarding the dangerous nature of experiments and lack safety standards that preceded the pandemic by at least two years. It is the host opinion that Fauci needs to be asked how he responded to these high-level reports and what safeguards he put in place to make sure those experiments did not benefit China. Question number three. Why has Fauci refused to talk about his organization-funded risky gain-of-function experiments had a lab that had no accountability or transparency and nobody could even audit their security measures? The most widely shared videos of Anthony or his exchanges with Senator Rand Paul in Congress, in the Senate, where Fauci repeatedly claimed his organization didn't and has not funded gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Institute, suggesting those activities that are defined as something other than gain-of-function. To put it simply, gain-of-function means genetically modifying a pathogen to increase its transmissivity to human cells which is exactly what the Wuhan lab was doing and what Fauci was funding. Now, there are people, there are doctors that defend him doing this. They try to propose that the virus must be amplified at least 10 times in order to qualify for gain-of-function experiments. But they also explain that whether the amplification of the virus is 9 or 10 times, amplification has occurred, and no amount of hair splitting can make that go away. And to back this up, even the Washington Post agreed that Fauci was funding gain of function, none of which stand out more than the 2015 experiments conducted in which the scientists combined DMA from more than one organism. Fauci knew about it all, folks, evidenced in an email received from his deputy 
in which his deputy confirmed these experiments were in fact gain-of-function experiments, and they were funded and approved by Fauci's organization, the National Institutes of Health. That brings us to question number four. Why did Fauci make public statements regarding the virus's origins that were in direct opposition to those expressed privately? One side of his mouth, the other side of his mouth. One in private, one in public. In a little-noticed exchange in April of last year, Trump and then director of the CIA, Mike Pompeo, had broached the idea that the COVID-19 virus may have come out of the Wuhan lab. You remember that? When asked about that theory, Fauci claimed that a recent study showing the sequence of the virus mutations proved that the virus origin came from a bat. However, even natural origin supporters acknowledge that the virus sequence of events does not prove its origin and it does not rule out a lab leak. Fauci also touted papers by Christian Anderson, who told Fauci privately that he believed the virus looked engineered, while at the same time Anderson drafted a paper pointing to natural origin. So why this lack of transparency by Fauci and others, those behind him, to cover up emerging theories, even when they knew others had good cause to ask questions? And the final question, and you may have more, why did Fauci claim there was no distinction between the release of a virus from a lab or operating amidst a population of, you know, small town, 12 million people in Wuhan, and a viral outbreak that occurred naturally? Out of the hundreds of interviews he's given, perhaps none as significant as the one with National Geographic back in May of 2020. And that's where Fauci diminishes the difference of a virus originating in the wild versus a virus that was brought from the wild into a lab. Fauci intentionally ignored the inherent responsibility that he personally bears for the resulting leak from a lab whose experiments he funded versus a natural viral emergence of nature. It was Fauci-funded researchers who collected thousands of of viral samples from an abandoned mine and brought them to the center of an enormous metropolis, Wuhan, China. Did he already know what had happened in Wuhan? Likely, yes. The lab is known for its large collection of bat viruses as well as the fact that it genetically manipulated those viruses. That's why they had them. Fauci knew of this because he was funding it all. Fauci also knew that these viruses were brought from remote locations into the lab and that the experiments in the lab, including trying to infect human cells, which was confirmed in an October 2017 email to Fauci regarding the content of these experiments. So Fauci's repeated lies, and that's what they are, folks, have directly affected the lives of billions of people. And I'll raise my hand and say this about it. Dr. Anthony Fauci needs to be held accountable for the whole mess. 
He really does, folks. He should be held accountable. Just one more interesting note before we get away. You know, we keep a number, and none of us have any idea how accurate the number is. It's because it comes from the Homeland Security Department led by Alejandro Mayorkas under Joe Biden. Border Patrol keeps a number on a daily basis, and they call it apprehensions. And those are the people that they're able to catch when they come across the border. Only God knows how many others have come across the border and haven't been caught. But it was kind of ironic. Thursday of last week, when Homeland Security uh, Secretary Mayorkas was actually at the southern border, a new record was established at the southern border on Thursday. Daily apprehensions, the biggest number ever happened while he was there. 4,000, 4,000 immigrants crossing into the nation illegally happened on Thursday of last week. I think that was kind of an interesting thing to note. Hey folks, don't forget, a new story coming up tomorrow morning at truthnewsnet.org. When you wake up, it'll be there. You're going you're, you're gonna to want to make it, read it earnestly before you get up and get started in your day tomorrow. We'll be back here, TNN Live, every Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. Tomorrow morning, we have a special guest joining us uh, in our second hour from California. And this has to do with our medical system, our health care, and what is happening We're not hearing a lot about it, but it's very critical to all of you. So make sure you're here tomorrow morning, 9 to 11 a.m. As always, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for being a part of our family, being our friend. You guys have a great day. Enjoy Monday. We'll keep you posted. If anything breaks through the day, very important, look at the website, truthnewsnet.org. See you tomorrow.
darkness is